0: If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. We're going to continue our study. The more things change, the more uh, they stay the same. Last week, we read 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 1 through 13. I'm not going to do that tonight. I'm just going to read one verse, and then I'm going to try to tie up some loose ends, go back re. Uh, look at and, and in a sense summarize what we talked about last week quickly and then move on to how I want to finish First Corinthians chapter number 5 because I don't want to finish it there. I want to finish it uh, somewhere else in the Word of God. I still believe that the best interpretation of the Word of God always comes from the Word of God. So if you want to Capture the meaning, or get a, a difficult text to understand, and understand it in our mind. Then we use the Word of God to interpret what the Word of God says. First Corinthians chapter number five, verse number six: The Bible says, "Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump?" Last week we talked about that—the uh, danger of sin in the church—and. We listed some of the steps that we take in dealing with that, uh, accepting the reality of sin, that sin's tragic, it must not be tolerated, that it's shameful. We talked about analyzing the responsibility uh, for sin. We talked about acting on the root of sin. We read Matthew chapter number 18, that very difficult passage where Jesus tells us how to deal with sin in the church, that teaching. That is so neglected today that I believe to the detriment of the church, it's been abused. And because of that abuse, uh, it's not used at all today. And both of those uh, ends of the spectrum are dangerous. Uh, So acting on the root of sin, then alleviating the results of sin, and then applying the biblical requirements of sin that we're to associate with sinners to convert them, but we're to abstain from worldly believers to correct them. Uh, I'm sure each of us in here tonight's heard that old saying, one bad apple, what spoils the whole barrel. That's a true saying. That proverb is speaking of how one rotten apple in a barrel will cause the other apples in the barrel to, rotten, to rot as well. Now I'm not as familiar to the, uh, with that, but what I am familiar with is a bag of taters especially now that the kids have moved down because me and Shane will go buy a bag, a little old five pound bag of potatoes and we'll eat about two things, two potatoes out of them and then there'll be one potato in that bag, get a little bad spot on it and the next thing you're cleaning out your whole cabinet because it smells so bad. The same principle applies. One bad potato can spoil the whole bag of potatoes. Uh, Many of you in here have been a Christian A lot longer than me. But I didn't become a Christian yesterday. It has been a little while. And one of the things that I've found is that most church problems, though they often surface in a group, were initiated and at first incited by one bad apple. All it takes is one disgruntled deacon, one conniving leader, one self-centered, self-motivated church member to cause trouble in a church. And it can take years to rebuild and reestablish what's torn down because of that one person that finds themselves in sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter number five, that's exactly what we find. We see a bad apple in the church and Paul takes that situation and he gave the church there in Corinth instructions what to do, how to handle this situation, dealing with this sin in the church, also in dealing with sin in our personal lives, the lessons that we can learn, but also, and probably most importantly, he reminds us the church that sin must not be tolerated either in the church or in in individual lives of those that make up the church. So we ask the question Know you not That a little leaven Leaveneth the whole lump And that's what I want to look at And think about that tonight As we revisit this chapter And I'm going to move through it very quickly Because I want to get to a story At the end of this Not a story of mine But a story of God's That I believe illustrates How the church is supposed to respond To a church member That finds themselves in sin. Number one, the confrontation of sin that is ignored. We read it right there. It's reported commonly that there's fornication among you. Verse number one, such fornication is not even so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And you're puffed up. You're proud of that thing. And you're not mourned about it. you have not rather mourn that he that had done this deed might be taken away from a, among you. The, the confrontation of sin that was ignored there was a sin that was told it wasn't hearsay it wasn't gossip it was commonly known everybody in the church and the community knew about it and instead of being sad over that thing they were puffed up and proud of it but not only the sin that was ignored but the sin that was tolerated he says right there in verse number two that you've not taken away this person from among you Apparently you're comfortable with it. Apparently it doesn't make you sad. It's always tragic when a church tolerates sin in the membership and the fellowship in the body of the church. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number seven, verse number 10, that godly sorrow worketh repentance. So instead of tolerating it, the church ought to be sad over it. Uh, because godly sorrow worketh. Uh, repentance I want to read you a quote from Anselm, one of the early church fathers, a bishop, uh, a martyr for the the early church back around 200 AD and I believe every believer ought to feel towards sin as he did now you listen to this and listen closely because it's kind of hard to grasp what he's saying but if you get the meaning uh, it makes sense here's what he said if hell were on one side And I and sin on the other. I would rather leap into hell than willingly sin against my God. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? You see, if I want to judge how close I am to God, a good test is my sensitivity to sin, both in me and around me. As Oswald Chambers said, the holiest person is the one who is most conscious of what sin is. So we need the the confrontation of the sin that's ignored, but also the contamination of that sin that infects. Paul says here in verse 6, Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? You see, he makes an analogy between sin and leaven. Uh, He does that because they're similar. Sin is defiling just like leaven is. You see in Leviticus chapter number 2, the Bible says that there's to be no meat offering which ye shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven, for ye shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering of the Lord made by fire. You see, the Jewish people celebrated this thing called Passover. It's when they made haste to leave Egypt And God told them to make cakes of bread and they weren't having any leaven in them because... It was commemorating how fast and quickly God did what he did and they had to get out of Egypt. And for seven days before this feast, celebrating Passover, they literally had to go through the house and sweep the house, sweep the house over and over to make sure every little tiny spot of leaven was out of there because a little bit of leaven would get into the bread and it would defile the whole loaf of bread so sin is defiling paul says in romans 14:23 that whatsoever is not of faith is sin now i've got to be honest hopefully you'll be honest as well we often categorize sin don't we i mean there's the big sin murder and rape and adultery then there's the little sin Normally the big sin is your sin and the little sin's my sin. Amen? But you see, God doesn't categorize it even to the point that Paul writes that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Have you ever heard anyone crying on the altar? And saying, God, forgive me for my lack of faith. I've not believed you. I've not trusted your word. I've not stepped out in faith because I didn't have the belief or the faith that you were going to do what you said you were going to do. You see, a lack of faith and weakness and not believing is sin in God's eyes. There's no big sin, little sin, any sin. Anything that's not a faith, Paul says. John Wesley's mother once wrote to him while he was in college. Here's what she said in her letter. Would you be judge of the lawlessness or the unlawfulness of a pleasure? Use this rule. If you're gonna judge whether something's good or bad, use this rule. I'm gonna paraphrase it. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God or takes off the relish of spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of your body over your mind, that thing to you is sin, and it defiles the whole lump. But not only is sin defiling, it's diffusive. It spreads. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. One bad apple destroys the barrel. One tater in that bag, if it gets a spot on it, the next thing you know, the whole bag will be uh, rotten. So not only is it defiling, it diffuses, it spreads, and it goes from one little spot to a great big spot. It affects one and then it affects others. And there's no way to stop that thing unless we cut it out and completely get rid of it. Number three, the cleansing of sin. That is indispensable. Paul says in verse seven, purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you're unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover is sacrifice for us. There's a separation from the old life. Purge out from among uh, the old leaven that you may be a, a, a new lump. Then there's a celebration of the new life because in verse 8 he says, therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven. So the the leaven's been purged out. There's a new lump, so we keep the feast. We celebrate not what was old and what was sinful, but what is new, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So there must be a separation from the old life, but then there's a celebration of a new life. And that's the place that God wants each of us to be. A place in our lives, the church, where there's been a putting away of the old and a putting on of the new. 2 Corinthians five seventeen: if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away and behold, all things have become new. That's the putting off of the old leaven. And he says, once that's been done, don't let it in again. Because it's defiling and it's diffusive then the church must take steps. And that's what this chapter is all about. I want to say this once again, church. I want to, I want to read you this, and then I, I want to say this, and I know I've got to hurry. 1 uh, Corinthians chapter number five is not about the sin that this one individual is committing with his mother-in-law. That's not what the chapter is about. That's part of the chapter But it's not the thesis, the main idea of this chapter. The main idea of the chapter is the church's response to that sin. So he's using that, God is using that. There was a specific event going on in the Corinthian church that God used to write it down in the Word of God so that it would be an example for us 2,000 years later not to look at that specific sin but to look at any sin and then apply the principles found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 to whatever that may be in 2018 up on this hill at Zion Baptist Church. I think that's why he goes on and said, I wrote to you in an epistle. Paul had wrote them a letter before that was not included in the canon. Um, and he had told them some things. He told them in that letter, apparently, don't keep company with fornicators. Well, they may have not understood that because he's writing them again to kind of clear that up. And he says, not just with fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners, with idolaters, for then you must needs to go out of the world. For now I've written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother. We talked about that last week. A person who claims the name of Christ be a fornicator. Well, we get that one pretty good. Or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, a drunkard, an extortioner. With such a one, don't even sit down to eat with that person if they name the name of Christ and engage in that activity. A lot of those we have a hard time with. Drunkard, a railer. What's a railer? I looked that up. Uh, It literally means a person who with their... Mouth sows discord, who with their mouth disrupts. Uh, when's the last time you ever seen a church anywhere take a person that with their mouth sowed discord and gave them an the opportunity to repent? And if they didn't, they said, You're out the door. We're, too, we're so scared of losing a member that we don't trust what God says enough to do, what God says to do. Amen? You see, Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When we do it God's way, when we do it Jesus' way, we don't have to worry about gaining or losing because God provides the increase. It's not up to us. It's up to Him. He promised to do that. And he said, I'll do it until I come again. I can't save a single soul, so I might as well do it God's way and let him depend or depend on him to do it his way according to his will. Now, here's where I wanted to get to. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter number 15. That was just a summary of last week. Luke chapter number 15. What do we do when a Christian sins? How do we respond? Well, I believe that we do what it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter number five, if there's unrepentant sin and that person's not willing to change. Uh, But I believe uh, Luke chapter number 15 gives us the clearest picture uh, of how we're to respond. Uh, Luke chapter number 15, verse 11. I know there's been a theological debate among uh, pastors and theologians since the Bible was written If this story of the prodigal son, was it talking about a lost person? Was it talking about a saved person? Uh, I'll give you my definitive answer. I ain't sure. Could apply to either one. I've heard from the best of them and ain't none of them convinced me which one exactly. Or it could be that Jesus was talking about both. Right? And he said a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, forgive me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided them unto his, his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. I believe that's the biblical principle of 1 Corinthians 5. He was separated from the father's provision. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain to have filled his belly with the husk that the swines did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to despair, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no more worthy to be called thy son, Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. When he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said unto him, Listen, church, I see so much of myself in this passage of Scripture. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe. Put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again and he was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field and he came and he drew nigh to the house and he heard the music and the dancing and the party that was going on and he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother has come, and thy father has killed the fatted calf because he hath perceived him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee neither. Transgest, transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy son, this thy son was come, which thou hast devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. When a Christian sins, Satan has found his target. We see that in this book. This young son had everything that the world had to offer, but he let Satan infiltrate. and He said, give me my inheritance. I want it all and I want it now. And Satan's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. When a Christian sins, the father watches and weeps. In this passage of scripture, the son said, I'm going to go. And the father sat and he watched him go. There was a separation that took place. The Father allowed that separation and sin separates. And the principle of 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 is that sin separates. It does not end the relationship with God. Once we're saved, we're always saved. But it separates, it breaks that uh, fellowship that once was. And until that sin is taken care of, that fellowship will be broken. Any of you in here got a husband or wife? You ever got mad at each other? <laughs> Shame. She's nodding that head. And until you make that thing right, what's it do? It breaks fellowship. And we're so busy about losing a member in a church that we won't apply 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the story of the prodigal son, that there must be a separation when sin takes place and it's only in that separation that there's hope that that person would see that something is wrong. And we go on and act like everything's normal. That'll never happen. The father in this story didn't. He didn't go down there looking and chasing and begging the son to come home. He let him go and let him get down into the hog pen. When a Christian sins, that pleasure is short-lived. We see that in this story. It wasn't very long, but the sin found him out and he found himself in the hog pen. And Sometimes Christians have to get in the hog pen before they can ever come to their senses and realize that it's better at the Father's house When a Christian sins, there's U-turns that will appear. When a Christian sins and those U-turns appear, action is required. There's a repentance that must take place, a complete turning around. I know we've got a meeting tonight. Good gracious, I've got to finish, but this is important. When we were in New York City with Karen Beck, and she was driving the bus, we drove that thing up there, and we found ourselves off of where we were supposed to go. And we had this GPS. You've read, you've had them things in your hand. There's about five of us had them things in our hands trying to tell Karen which way to go. She was driving so fast, we'd be past the, stern, uh, the turn before that thing and pick up and it'd say turn and the turn of would be about three roads back. So what would she do? She'd turn off on another road. Next thing you know, we found ourselves at the entrance of the Holland Tunnel. We're surrounded by cars on all sides. And we asked a fellow, and there was a big sign there that said, No buses, no transfer trucks allowed. And here we are. with We can't go backwards. We can't go forwards. We can't go side to side. We're trapped in that thing. You know what? I got to thinking about that when I thought about this and the prodigal son. Oftentimes we expect people to let take detours. <laughs> Instead of doing a U-turn. And that was our problem. And that's why we never could get back to where we were supposed to be. Because we kept taking detours. When what we really needed to do was stop where we are and do a U-turn. And turn around and go back the other way. And that's the only way a Christian can repent. We can't keep going the same direction and just turn a little bit to the right or turn a little bit to the left. When he found out that he was in the hog pen and how much better it was at the Father's house, he said, I will go back to the Father's house. And that's the only place we can go if we're going to get correction, but not only correction, restoration. When a Christian finds themselves in sin, it's when we return, repent, and go back to the Father's house. And as Christians... We ought not settle for a detour. But only true repentance. So when a Christian sins and doesn't about face, I'm going to close with this. The best welcome is always guaranteed. That's where I wanted to get to, church. You see, the father was waiting on the son to come to his senses. He didn't go after him. He didn't chase him down. He didn't go down there and make him comfortable in his misery. But when the son came to his senses, there was a ring. There was a fatty calf. There was a robe to put on. There was a name that he was given. What was that name? It was not servant. It was son. He had a party. They made merry. But listen, when that happens, there's going to be some Christians that ain't too happy about it. I want to say this, whether anybody likes it or anybody don't, I want to be like that father and it doesn't matter what a person's done, how many times they've done it, how bad what they've done is. When that person repents and comes to their senses, I want to be like the Father and I want to throw a party and say this, my son was dead and I want us to be a welcoming people that don't hold grudges and I believe that's what 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 is all about because I've got to close and I don't have time to turn there right now. You can check on me. You turn to 2 Corinthians and Paul writes about this man and he said, hey, there's been some things going on in the meantime. He's repented and here's what I want you to Corinthian church. You receive him as a brother. You see ultimately, and this is what we got to get church. This sounds harsh. It does. But the ultimate aim is repentance and restoration. And then we throw a party and we don't hold it against them because God don't when the son came to his senses he didn't come back in as a servant or hireling he was welcomed back with all the rights and privileges of a son let's pray Father we love you we thank you for your word God I know we've took a lot of time but Lord I believe this chapter is important for us to grasp what the meaning is So God, help us to do that. And then as a people, Father, we'd simply trust you to work out the details. In Jesus' name, amen.